you have your Bibles, I want you to take them back again, once again, to Luke chapter number 15. Luke chapter number 15. For quite some time now, we've been making our way through this chapter, looking at it as the Bible's lost and found. You know what I mean by lost and found? Most businesses have a box somewhere in a back closet that's filled with with uh, uh, forgotten uh, handbags and, and umbrellas and coats and different things like that. It's a lost and found. Well, the Bible has a lost and found. And Jesus has been teaching in a parabolic way, parables that He has shared, that He is magnifying this thought of those who are lost can be found. And He's been displaying that in front of the scribes and Pharisees, and we've looked at the lost sheep, the lost silver, and over the last few weeks we've looked at the lost son. And we have broken this last parable up into three different parts. Actually, we've been looking at the lost sons, plural, because there's more than one son that is lost in this parable. And first of all, we looked at the lustful son, the son that went to the far country to, uh, to waste his substance on riotous living. Last week, we looked at the loving father, a father that, that dotes and loves upon this son. And in a very uh, a shaming way to that culture, lavish love and forgiveness and restoration upon this son when he returned back to his father. But last of all today, we're going to conclude our study in these lost and found, this lost and found of the Bible. And we're going to look at the other son. And I want to speak to you this morning on not, uh, the, the legalistic brother. We had the, the lustful son. We had the loving father. Now we look at the legalistic brother. And when I think about this latter part here, uh, let's, let's go in and read the whole thing so we can have it fresh in our mind. Luke chapter 15 and look at verse number 11. Jesus is continuing to teach and He said uh, in verse number 11, A certain man had two sons. And the, father of them sa- uh, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he, had, when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
and they began to be married. So we've been studying up to that point. Here is today's focus, the other son. Look at what it says. Now his elder brother was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he received him safe and sound. And he, meaning the older brother, and he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and, and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many, day, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgress I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son has come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he, the father, he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry, and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. I want to speak to you on the legalistic brother. You know, I think one of the worst typewritten mistakes in a church bulletin comes from a student ministering in a Lutheran church. The bulletin that the typist uh, put together, the student put together, left out one letter and it changed everything. The bulletin said this in the, in the, that, that coming Sunday. The bulletin read this, quote, There will be a sinning at the Smith home this evening following the pastor's message on intimate fellowship. It left the G out of singing and turned it into sinning. Now that... That could be well misunderstood by a lot of people. You know, this last scene before us is another passage that could be easily and often is misunderstood. Remember, Jesus is explaining to the scribes and Pharisees why He eats and associates with publicans and sinners. And He's been doing that through these very vivid Word pictures, uh, everyday life, that's what a parable is. It takes everyday life uh, reality instances and lays them beside spiritual truth. And so he's been using these parables, these stories that were readily identifiable with. He, he talked about the lost sheep was that, well, that was found. And do you remember at the end of that parable when the, when the shepherd brought the sheep back and he went to his companions and and they celebrated the return of the sheep. In the next parable, he talks about the coin, how that the lost silver was found by the woman and, and she went to her friends, the ladies nearby, and everyone rejoiced and celebrated over the found piece of silver. But here in what I'm calling the, the parable of the lost sons, we see a son that was lost. The, then the son that was, that was lost was found and there was a celebration. You know, it follows the same pattern as the other two. 
The sheep was found, there was celebration. The silver was found, there was celebration. The sun was found, there was celebration. But Jesus adds this last part that is different from all the other parables. He added an extra illustration. Now remember, with these stories, Jesus is teaching. He's teaching the scribes and Pharisees concerning the heart of God for the lost sinner. Those that are on the fringe of society. Those that are considered on the outside looking in. Publicans, sinners, prostitutes, those that are on the outside. And in this final scene, Jesus, this extra, extra illustration, Jesus takes a giant mirror and places it right in front of the scribes and Pharisees. He is showing them who they are. He didn't do this in the other, the other parable, parable scenes, but He does so in this one. Jesus takes this mirror and shows them that their disgrace shows them that their condition before God is just as disgraceful as this legalistic son of this father. Now, one of the things about this parable is that in our 21st century mindset, in our ears, the final section of this parable could be easily, like I said before, easily misunderstood. As a matter of fact, there is a well-known preacher, a nationally known preacher, that utterly and completely missed the point of the older son in, a, in this parable and preached a message entitled, Let's Hear It for the Other Son. And in that message, he celebrated the actions, the attitudes, and the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the characteristics of this older son. And basically, uh, basically put it forth that he was to be commended and even celebrated for his faithfulness to his father. But there is nothing, and I repeat, what a parable says is not what we hear when we read it. What a parable says and what it means is what it would have been heard as in the first century. What Jesus hearers would have perceived this parable. What they thought it meant is what it means for us today. So we have to do our best to go back and put lenses on for the first century to understand what, is, what Jesus is saying. And this son, in, in view of that first century culture, there is nothing that should be celebrated about his actions. His heart condition is, is the most dangerous and the most pervasive in the church as a whole. Remember, Jesus is teaching about those on the fringe. Those on the outside. The, the prostitutes, the sinners, the drug addicts, the publicans. But here, He brings it into those that for whatever reason think that they are close to God. And puts this mirror before them. He's teaching them concerning this heart of God. And in doing so, He shows them their own dangerous position. You know, down at the jail and the rescue mission, I was just there 
I have a, mo- a monthly or bi-monthly time at the rescue mission and, and uh, you know, to preach on the prodigal son and how he went to a far country and lost everything and came back to the father and was and was reunited with the Father and, and preaching about the loving Father who welcomes this wayward Son. I mean, that's preaching that hits the mark at the rescue mission. But here, here in the Father's house, Jesus' teaching on the elder Son is more apt to reveal something that is deeply wrong in our own heart. You see, it's a little bit more difficult. We all look nice here on church. We got our, we got our Bibles. We got, we're all here together in, in our Sunday clothes. We're sitting in and basking in, in the worship center here. And we're, we're worshiping together. It, it's hard uh, for us to, uh, to... It is easy for us to kind of uh, see that younger son as those way out there and go, Amen. Yes, yes, God can save anyone. But it's really hard when God takes that mirror and points it at us in this building and begins to show us what may well be our own heart. You see, He reveals something. Jesus' teaching on the elder son is more apt in this building to reveal something deeply wrong in our own hearts. And so every one of us today can leave this building. When, I, when you walk through those doors and enter your week uh, in the, for the days to come, I want, uh, I want you to have a clear understanding of what Jesus is saying to us in this elder brother. And I want you to do that by noting three characteristics of this last scene from the text. So three characteristics and we'll be done. Number one, I want you to see an insulting rebuke. An insulting rebuke. Now, again, as we have done in the previous two parables, talking about this prodigal son, these prodigal sons, we want to remind you that this story Jesus is telling is being told in an honor-driven culture. An honor-driven culture. One's honor must be maintained at all costs. How many of you have heard of what's called Sharia law? Uh, Many places in the country where there is a high population of the religious uh, uh, sect of Islam, uh, they, they want to have Sharia law in their community, and to live by Sharia law, not necessarily the laws of the land. And the reason why Sharia law is so popular among them is because it is very honor-driven. Not only uh, do uh, do they take care of certain laws concerning those that steal and those that kill and and those that break moral laws in that way. But the Sharia law goes a step beyond and deals out punishment to anyone who would infringe upon the honor of another. That's the kind of... Have you heard those stories about young women who might have been, who might have been caught talking to a young man and not be married and, and just, by, just by having a conversation with someone, it would defame the honor of the father. And in many circumstances, that young woman will find herself killed because his honor has been defamed. That's the kind of culture that is we find ourselves in that first century. It was an honor-driven culture. Honor must be maintained at all costs, but no one up to this point 
according to the scribes and Pharisees, no one has been acting with honor in the whole thing. The son has been, the, the younger son's been dishonorable when he goes to the father and says, basically, I wish you were dead. Give me all that my, what's coming to me. I don't care about you. I don't care about this household. I want what I want and I want to get out of this country. He's being dishonorable. Then the father is being dishonorable but by simply giving it to him, willingly giving it. He's being dishonorable like we talked about last week about running and welcoming this son with open arms. I mean, these scribes and Pharisees would have been disgusted by the actions of this father. He's acting dishonorable. So when Jesus comes to the account of the older brother, the scribes and Pharisees must have been thinking this. Well, it's about time somebody started acting with some decency and some honor in this story. At the onset of the, telling the story of the elder brother, they must have said, finally, here is someone that's acting with some sense around here. It seems as though this whole family's cuckoo, but this older brother here, he is acting like he should in this certain circumstance, in this occasion. You see, the older brother, well, he's kind of their guy. He's the guy that they would most readily identify with. He was their hero in this story. But in the end, as Jesus tells this story, they will be horrified to find that this elder brother acts just as dishonorable and insulting as the younger brother. And I'll show you how. Number one, I want you to see first of all an absent relationship. In verse number 25 it says, it begins the, the verse by saying, Now his elder son was in the field. Verse number 29. The latter part of verse number 29. He said, and yet, uh, it said, And these many years do I serve thee, and never transgress at any time thy commandment. Look, and also in verse number 30. But as soon as this thy son has come. Do you see the language in which he is using to speak to his father. Now at the beginning of the story, the younger son reveals he had no relationship with the father to begin with. Remember in that first message we talked about how that this son, he has no relationship with his father. He talks to him as though he is, his heart is completely cut off from the father. He doesn't care about the father. He hates the father. He wants to be away from the father. And he basically says, I wish you were dead. He cashes out, goes out into a foreign land. Their estrangement, the estrangement between the younger son and the father is visualized by the distance from the father's house to the, the far country where the young man went. But in verse 25, the elder son, as we read a moment ago, the elder son is far away too. He is in the field in verse number 25. The elder son was in the field. He was on the farm, yes, he was on the farm, but he was far from the father. So far, in fact, that he didn't even know that the whole town had come out to his father's house for a celebration. Remember, uh, he said when he, this young man uh, heard music and dancing, at one point, he didn't hear that. Remember, it was only in, when he started to come home 
he said, as, and as he drew nigh to the house, as he started to come closer to the house, he could hear the music. He was so far away from the Father at the beginning of this that he couldn't see the crowds, he couldn't hear the celebration, he couldn't hear the hoops and the hollers, he couldn't hear the, uh, the, the, the fatted calf being killed, he, he couldn't hear the music. He was at a great distance from the Father. You ever wonder why the Father sent no one to retrieve the older son when the celebration began? I believe that the Father knew that the son, the other son, the older brother, had no interest, interest in his, his younger brother. He had no interest in his father. The older brother gladly took the inheritance. Do you remember what happened when the young man asked for his inheritance? In verse number 12 of Luke 15, it, when the younger son asked for all the goods that followed him, the text says, and he divided unto them his living. Meaning that the father divided the two-thirds portion, giving the one-third to the younger son, but he also gave the two-thirds to the older son. And there was not a single word of rejection. Uh, there was no single word of defending the father's honor. No, he gladly took the inheritance too. Never once standing up and defending the honor of the father. You see, the younger son was in the far country, but this guy's in the far field. Of such, Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8, This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Notice in verse number 20, 29, he said, At any time, he says, Neither transgress I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Here he's indicating something else. This indicates that when he had a party, if he would have had a party, then he wasn't going to include the brother or the father in his party. He didn't love what the father loves. He has his own set of friends. He celebrates with those who have no connection to the father. Do you see how drawn away he is? He's got his own set of friends. He's got his own set of relationships. And they have nothing to do with the father. Notice also, in verse number 30, he says, but as soon as this, thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed, the, killed for him the fatted calf. Notice this, the, thy son, in verse number 30, he doesn't ever identify the younger son as his brother. He's so disconnected from the family that he doesn't even see the younger brother as such. He just sees it. It's your son. You the father. This is your son. It's not my brother. It's not related to me. It's easy to deduce here that the older son may well be on the property. He may well be in the house. But there's no relationship here. He may be closer than the far country. 
But there's no relationship with the Father. Listen, I want to ask you this morning. Is that you? This is the religious sinner in the house of God making a public display of affection for God, saying the right things, attending to the right services, doing the right activities, being moral on a public front, outwardly good, outwardly obeying, keeping the rules with no relationship with the Father. Oh yes, he, he may be in the house, but there's no interest in the Father. There's no concern for the things that concern the Father. There's no delight in the things that bring joy to the Father. There's no desire to honor the Father. Not, not in, no interest in what pleases the Father. All, listen, all this elder brother syndrome is, are those that are interested in what can get, what you, what they can get out of being in the house. That's all this elder son is concerned with is what he gets from being on the plantation in the father's house. I ask you, is that your attitude towards the things of God? You, you're part of a church. You, 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 you give. You, 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 love, you love, the, love to go to church. You, you try to force yourself to attend church. You try to make, make it a priority in your life, but the reality is all that you do that for is to have certain blessings on your life, to have certain things afforded you from God. That's what this elder brother syndrome is. There's no relationship with the Father. He just wants what the Father gets. He's in love with the blessings instead of the blesser. Have you ever heard that? I, I'm, I'm more preoccupied with the blessings of God than I am to know God. To be in relationship, walking relationship with God. There's an absent relationship. Then there's an appalling apply, a reply in verse number 29. You probably heard it when I emphasized in the early reading. This older son said, answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Notice that. Low. Now, the scribes and Pharisees must have been right before this point. They must have been saying, yeah! That's a way to tell him, a younger, uh, older brother. That's the way to show him. Uh, it's about time someone threw a fit and got upset about all this dishonor going around in this place. About time somebody got upset and said the right thing. But verse 29, they would have been aghast at what the young man said. Notice the word low. He said, low, these many years do I serve thee. The word low here means look. Now, I don't know about your parental situation, but there is no way, even to this day, as I'm on my own and I'm out of my father's house and I'm, 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 I'm my own adult, there is no way that I would smartatically say to my father, Look, such and such and such and such. You, do you see the attitude of that? Look, there's no honor on his lips. There's not even the name of the father on his lips. The word low, the father's not given any title, he's not given any respect. 
even when the younger son was at the height of his rebellion. Go back to verse number 12. Look at what he says. The younger, younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that follow to me. He had the, at least the respect of his father to call him by name. Father, give me these things. Not the older brother. Look. He didn't say, Father, look. He didn't give him any sort of respect of a title. There's no respect in, in this older brother. This would have been in that culture an insult to the father. Also, look at verse number 29. He said, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. He said, I've served you. The word serve here is akin to the word for slave. He basically said, I have slave for you, and what thanks do I get? This is not a dutiful son, a faithful son. This is a despising son. He thought, he thought his thought is little for the father. He just wants what he can get out of him. Instead of telling the father to drop dead like the younger one, no, no, no. That's not this older brother. The older brother goes on bitterly and resentfully waiting around for the father to die. He didn't have the gumption, the moxie, like the younger brother to say, drop dead, dad, give me everything I want. No, he resentfully and despisingly obeyed and worked for the father, hoping that one day everything would fall into his lap and the father would die. Talk about self-righteous. Look at what he says. At any time, and neither transgressed at any time thy commandment. He basically said to the father, I'm perfect. I've done any, I haven't done anything wrong. And yet I'm not celebrated. I've never been given so much as a goat. And you killed the calf for this whoremonger? Oh, how resentful this young man is. In truth, he is saying to his father, Mr. He didn't call him father. Mr. I don't need to ask you for forgiveness. You're the one that is in the wrong, Father. You need me to forgive you. What an audacious Young man, I don't have to justify myself before you, Father. No, you're the one that needs to be forgiven by me. This is outrageous legalism. Self-righteous indignation towards God. An attitude that says, God, you need my forgiveness because you have violated my understanding. You haven't, you haven't fulfilled your part of the bargain. The bargain was, I do what you say and you reward me. That's not it at all. To this older son, here it is, the world revolves around him. He should be at the head of the table. He should be the focus of the celebration. Not the father and certainly not the younger son. You see the resentment in this older brother? It's an insult. It is an, in that century an insult 
to this father. An insulting rebuke. Also, an indulging response. The attitude and action, the reasoning and the rebuke of the older brother was in that culture a blatant insult. An utter disgrace to the father. A, middle, uh, a traditional Middle Eastern response would have been to take the son and give him, the older son mind you, and to give him a public rebuke, a public beating for his dishonor. But instead of ordering a beating for a public humiliation, this father, in equal compassion and love, goes to the son with an indulgent response. Remember the indulgence he showed to the younger son? How that he humiliated himself by pulling up that long skirt and running across town to go envelop his son with a hug and love and all the self and all of the loving indulgence that he gave this son. He does the same for the older brother. Notice his tender approach. Look at verse number 28. He said unto him, Thy, uh, verse number 28, and he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. Notice that word entreated. Here, here's what's happening now. The son has finished the day's work far in the field and he's making his way home. He hears the music. He asks the servant what's going on. The servant says, your brother's come back and your father has put on elaborate celebration to welcome him home because he's safe and sound. The brother's furious and so he stands outside the party with his back to the party sulking. He's not going in. He's not going into the celebration. This was an insult as well. A complete disregard for the father's honor and joy. And what was the father's response? Was it to publicly punish this older son? No. The father leaves the party and comes out and begins to beg the son. Beg the son. Notice in verse number, uh, number 28, at the last two words it says, and entreat him. Entreat him. That word entreat here is a Greek word that is, uh, 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 the word is pronounced parakaleto. And this particular word is synonymous with Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit. Remember in John 14, 15, 16 where Jesus is saying goodbye to his disciples and he's saying, I must go for I'll, I'll send another comforter. That word comforter there is that same parakaleto. The Holy Spirit is a parakaleto. And what that means is para, meaning side by side, kaleto, meaning to encourage. Jesus told His disciples when He left, He would send the encourager, the one to come alongside them and take His place to walk with them in life. Hear this Father. He comes out to this older son as a parakaleto. I, I believe it lends itself to the actions the Father took. He goes out there and his son is sulking with his back to the party and the father graciously comes and comes alongside and puts his arm around his son 
and begins to entreat him to come into that father, to join him in this celebration. The brother's fuming. He is furious over this. And the father is graciously inviting him to come back into the celebration. This is another act of complete selflessness on the part of the father. The father humiliated himself by running through town to get to the younger son. Now he humiliates himself even more by leaving the celebration while all the guests whisper about why the father's leaving and where is the older brother. All the gossipers are in there talking about where everyone is. And he goes out to there in equal mercy toward the rebellious prodigal and the religious Pharisee. God is equally merciful to the drug addict, to the prostitute, to the wicked, vile sinner that is on the outskirts, that is far from the Father's house. He is just as merciful to those who are near the Father and caught up in a legalistic attitude toward the Father, toward those that are far from God. You know, we all love a great story about a wicked outrageous sinner who is converted. I love the story of John Newton. What a vile, wicked man, young man John Newton was. A sailor by the age of 11. He sailed the high seas and he knew how to string together blasphemies that would make a sailor blush. He was a a fornicator, an enslavement of others. He He was a wicked, vile man. But God gloriously converted him caused him to write one of the greatest songs we sing in our churches today. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. We love a story like that. But yet a story that we're not so excited about is when the hypocrite comes and puts their faith and trust in Jesus. One one that we look from the outside, they look to be holy. They look to be something that they weren't on the inside. We don't near like as much those stories. And yet, in this story, we see God's grace extended to both extremes. To those that are on the fringe and don't have a relationship to the Father. To those that are on the plantation, they're on the Father's farm, and yet still don't have a relationship with the Father. To the extremely wicked and to the ex- extremely self-righteous religious, God opens His compassion, His forgiveness, His reconciling love to them in the person of Jesus Christ. God's grace is just as deep, is just as unfathomable to save someone who's been around the church all of their lives as He is to save those that are on the far extreme of the far country. It's a tender approach this father takes to this elder brother, but also we see a a truthful appeal. Look at verse 31. Son, thou art even with ever with me, and all that I have is thine. Now remember how the old elder son addressed the father. Very smart alecky. Look. Very matter of fact. 
not showing any relationship to the father. But notice how the father speaks to the elder brother in verse 31. Son, the word son here is a word meaning child or, or my child. The son hurls insults at, at the, at, at, and the accusations against the father and the father speaks to him in endearing terms of love and affections. You know, sometimes the love of God is so hard to believe. We can find it, we can find it somewhat easy to say that God loves the drunk and the drug addict and the prostitute, but for some reason it is harder to acknowledge that in equal measure of love, He entreats the hypocrite as well. Those that put on a false front, they put on airs of religiousness, but yet they have no relationship with, with God. Listen, I want you to know, God loves you just as much as He pities the prostitute, as He pities the publican and the drunkard. He pities you just as much. He has the same compassion upon Upon you as he does for those that are on the outside. Look at verse 31. And he said to him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. Everything has always been available to this group. The father said, I've always been here, son. If you ever wanted a relationship with me, I was here, and everything I have have was here for your taking. All that is mine is yours. I don't have to split up anything. The Father is willing to have true relationship with the hypocrite. With the one that has no relationship with God, yet is in the realm or the sphere or on the plantation of the religious world. It's all open to them as well. Here's the picture of the endless, um, endlessness of God's grace and mercy. For all to come to Him, it will never be had by your works. This young man was slaving and working and slaving, and that's what he brought up. Haven't I done all these things? Isn't that what Jesus says in, the, in the, uh, the, uh, Matthew chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Those that come before the Lord Jesus in the day of judgment... And they say, haven't I done great things in your name? Haven't I done all these wonderful things and wrought miracles and done all this? And the Father says, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Here this young man is saying, look at all that I've slaved for you. Yet he is there willing to make relationship before the judgment. The elder, the elder brother was blinded by self. Me, 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 I. It's all about me. It's what I can get. It's what's for me. What I didn't get. Listen, church to this older brother is a contractual agreement between the elder brother and God. If I come here and do these things, then you'll do this for me. I tell you, the relationship with God is not a quid pro quo. It's not a, I scratch your back, God, you scratch my back. I'm telling you what, that's why we have so many that attend churches, that attend upon worship, and when terrible storms come, when situations that boggle the mind 
come into their life when the scenes of Job come in upon them. They turn their back on God. They'll say that God should have never... I was a good person. I was doing the right things. I was in the right place. And and God let this happen to me. Listen, I want you to understand something. Outside of hell, if you're saved by God's grace, you don't deserve anything. God saved you. God saved you from hell. If God gave you nothing but pain and agony and trial and difficulty for the rest of your living days, it far outweighed what you'd spend eternity in the lake of fire and the judgment of God. But so many people, they turn their back on God because this happened to me. Have you, haven't you heard it? Well, this happened to my daughter and my son. This happened in our financial world. I lost my mother. And after I lost my mother, I could never, I could never believe in a loving, merciful God. You know what that is? That's elder brother syndrome. That marks an individual who is just as far from God as the lustful son in the far country. You see, what what this elder brother doesn't understand is that the younger brother, admitting his sin, knew that he had no deserving place at the table. And, And at the table of God's salvation, there will be no head of the table. There will be no one that will be able to lift their head in pride, but all will be lowered in thankfulness to the master of the feast. This father is offering the older son the same tenderness, the same kindness, the same mercy, the same grace that was offered to the younger brother. In effect, he is saying, My child, it's all here for you. If you will come in, we'll celebrate you too. You're welcome to come to the feast. The father's statement, we had to celebrate. Notice he said we. I believe indicating his son. We should make merry. We should celebrate. Indicating son, you're welcome to come and celebrate as well. Because the celebration is not about your, father, your, your brother. The celebration is about him, the father. And his love for his son. I tell you, that is what God the Father is offering every one of us that are here today. You may wear the facade. You may have the outward appearance of a relationship with God, but only God knows what's in your heart. I mean, I like to think everybody around me that knows the Lord and carries a Bible and shows up to church or whatever, that they know the Lord. But I don't know that. And there have been so many Christians. uh, Evangelist Billy Graham said that the greatest mission field in the world is our churches in America. Because they're so filled with elder brothers who have no relationship with the Father but are just occupying a uh, a pew to get what they can out of God. A quid pro quo. If I do this for you, you do this for me. That is not a relationship with the Father. It's not a relationship with Him. Notice lastly, an insulting rebuke, an indulgent response. Finally, an inconclusive record. I'll show you what I mean. You know, on television there is a, 
There's a show years ago I used to watch, and me and Carrie, we were addicted to it. And every show, the end of that show was this heart-pounding, edge-of-your-seat moment, and then they would cut it off. I mean, just like, chop like that. And you can come back next week and see what happens. Oh, it would drive me nuts. That, uh, luckily, at the time, that's one of the reasons we stayed up all night nearly watching that show because it was streaming, so we could always go to things. I can't imagine how bad it was when they watched the show when it was only coming out week after week, you know, back in the old days of television when you couldn't binge on nothing, you had to wait till the next week. Well, this show was just like that. It was a heart-pounding scene that just uh, suddenly stopped. Well, this parable is very much like that in the way the story is told. It just stops. It doesn't conclude. There, but to this story, there is no next week. There is no continuation. Notice, first of all, I want you to see the missing prose. Prose by meaning prose, a section of text. There's something missing in this parable. And it's intentional. It's interesting to note that this story is incomplete from the perspective of Middle Eastern prose and literature. Great, great Bible scholars and people like that know that this story is written in its original in a format of a traditional story that is told in that culture. The story was, to be, was supposed to be composed of two equal halves, okay? The first half of the story has eight stanzas about the younger brother. Then it should have had eight stanzas about the older brother. But the story only has seven when it comes to the older brother. In telling or reading the story at that time in that culture, one would have been searching for the missing stanza. They would have turned the next page. Where's the end? Where's the conclusion? Where's it? They, they wouldn't, they would, it would, it's like a, it's like a missing verse. It's like something's not there that should be. The story simply has no ending. It just stops. It lacks a conclusion. That leads me to my last point. Notice not only the missing prose, but the master's point. The missing prose reinforces Jesus' point to the scribes and the Pharisees. He's making this point to them that were listening to Him. He has just clearly and vividly, remember I told you at the beginning, it's like a big giant mirror right in front. This is who you look like. Celebration of the, of the sheep, the celebration of the silver didn't have this. But here at the end, Jesus places this big mirror and shows them exactly who they are. And they would know it. He's just given them a 3D, high-definition, technicolor image of themselves. He has shown them for who they really are. And now it is up to them to finish the story. You see, the scribes and Pharisees will write the ending of the story. That's the point of the parable. What will the ending be? Now, if I... We're writing the story. If I could put the conclusion, the last verse in this parable, I might write it this way. I might say this, Then the elder brother, realizing his own sin 
and neglected the Father, fell to his knees saying, Father, forgive me of my pride, my self-centeredness. Receive me as a true son and take me to your feast. Then the Father would have embraced him and kissed him and took him in and seated him at the table beside his brother and all began to make merry. That's the way I would end the story. But that's not how the story ends. Because the scribes and Pharisees, they did write the conclusion. You know what the conclusion was? Here's their ending. And the older son, being outraged at his father, picked up a piece of wood and beat him to death in front of everyone, then rejoiced in the restoration of the family honor. You say, Brother Ronnie, how in the world is that part of this parable? Because that's exactly what they did when they put Jesus on the cross of Calvary. They wanted the honor restored. They did not want a relationship with the Father. To close, this parable of the lost sons, in this parable of the lost sons, you and I both play a part. We're all in this story in two roles. The lustful son who was restored to the Father. The legalistic son who really don't have a conclusion of his story. Either one of those is played by every person in this room. My question to you today is which are you? Are you the lost son? The lustful son who through your own lust and sin is drawn far from the Father? Jesus in compassion is searching for you. Come to the Father. Come to Jesus Christ in repentance and and, and asking forgiveness and He will restore you. He will put you in right relationship with the Father. Come to the Jesus who died for you on the cross to pay your sin debt. Or, if you are the legalistic son and you're far far from the Father but you're living under the same roof, You have sulked and blamed God. You have served God thinking God owes you your salvation. You think your duty and labor merits you your own feast, a celebration of who you are. I want you to know, with no less compassion, Jesus searches for you today. No different. He endures the humiliation of not only going to the The lost son, the lustful son, but going to the legalistic son. He bears the humiliation of coming to you today. I want you to know with no less love and compassion, Jesus will embrace you, receive you, and invite you into the celebration that is not about the lustful son, nor about the legalistic brother, but is all about The loving Father. The humble humble yourself, as I believe James says, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and He will lift you up. He will receive you. On the cross, your debt was paid. 
whether it's the debt of your hypocrisy or whether it's the debt of your lasciviousness in your past or whatever the debt is, Jesus paid for it on the cross in His own blood. Mercy and grace are freely extended to you. Come to Jesus. Come to the cross. Whatever your state may be. Don't be embarrassed. I have a young friend of mine who... who, uh, was in my college age Sunday school class. J.C. Groves, he's a youth pastor in South Georgia. J.C. Groves was given a talented voice. He could sing like a bird. Went to Tennessee Temple University back in the day when the college was there. He played Jesus every year in the Tennessee Temple play. Was a very sought after evangelist. One day I'm sitting at work and I get a telephone call at an odd time of the day. And I don't hardly talk to J.C. J.C.'s very popular. He comes in and out every now and then from the Sunday school class whenever he's in town. But I didn't know him that way. We weren't that close. But he called me and he he said, Ronnie, I just want you to know that I I got saved today. I was like, J.C., what are you talking about? He said, for years I've always struggled at 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 whether I'm saved or not. And every time that would happen, I would point to my list and I would say, look at what I do. I sing for the Lord. I preach for the Lord. I'm even Jesus in the Easter play there at Tennessee Temple. I have to be saved. But today, Jesus ripped up that list and it's not worth going to hell over. And I put my trust in Jesus right away. And I wanted you to know that I'm saved today. I know the Lord Jesus. I'll tell you what, you can occupy... Appews for decades and be lost. Playing a quid pro quo with God and never in relationship with Him. I beg you, if you know the Lord today, if you don't know the Lord today, come, know Him. Put your faith and trust in Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love You. God, this, uh, this passage of Scripture that we've talked about today, It has been a mirror to me as well. I know you in saving faith. I know that I don't deserve a seat at the table. But God, how often, how often is it that I fall into a a quid pro quo in relationship with you? God, don't you see what I'm doing? Don't you see how I'm trying? Don't don't you see that? don't Don't I deserve some slack? And God, it is so easy to fall into a relationship that is poor, pitiful me. Why doesn't God bless me? Why doesn't God help me? God, rid me. Rid me of that elder brother syndrome. God, I'm glad you just invited me to the party. I don't deserve the party. I don't care how long I've labored for you. I don't care what I do. God, I don't deserve the party. I could never repay what you've done for me. God, guard our hearts from that kind of elder brother syndrome. Father, I pray for those that are far from God in our families and maybe even in this building. And I pray for those that are near God and yet still don't know Him. God, may we recognize our lost condition if we indeed are lost and come to You. May we recognize our elder brother syndrome as it creeps in, as it is apt to do to people in the church. God, save us from that. Draw us near to You in an undeserving attitude, in an adoration of a celebration that is about you more than anything else. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. If you'll please stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to sing a a hymn of invitation, 375.
375, we'll sing one, maybe two verses. 375, let the Lord have his way. You know, this elder son could have been a lot better off if he'd let his father have, the, have his way. If he would have yielded himself to his father. Let's sing and worship the Lord together. Go ahead, Brother Roger.